morning. Good to see everybody. Hope you are all well. Had a great Thanksgiving. We finished up our conference at His Hill. Had a nice time together. A little smaller crowd than usual because of the COVID stuff, but glad we could still meet nonetheless. And um, knowing that it was going to be a busier week for me than normal, um, Thanksgiving's always a busy week, but this time I also um, was involved in the teaching. I asked Job Martin if he would preach for me this Sunday. Job is one of our guest speakers at His Hill. He comes every year um, the week after Thanksgiving, and then he's with us the first week of the semester in January. And he's here with his family, his wife, Genedy, and his daughters, Taryn and Mirren. And they have been coming to His Hill for a long time. Um, our kids were little when Job first started coming to His Hill, and he was encouraging Bible memorization and giving our kids trophies and things when they were just little and we just are so grateful for their friendship and just been, their family has been a, just a great blessing. I can't even state how much of a blessing they've been to our family. And we just love them and are grateful for them. And it's a um, privilege that they can be here. Um, Job, usually at his hill in the fall, he teaches on creation and evolution. And then when he comes back in January on worldviews and always um, really loved by our students. And he adopts them from time to time and calls them his grandchildren. Um, so we, he's just a really a dear brother, and um, it's a privilege to have um, the Martin family with us. Joe, I'll turn it over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Well, we're glad to be back. It's been a while since I've stood up here. I don't know how long exactly, but it's longer than I want it to be. But um, we were... we're uh, we just finished Thanksgiving. We started celebrating Christmas in the secular world before Halloween. We started seeing decorations and everything, but now's the time, at least people my age, we used to start thinking about Christmas about this time of year because we've been thinking about Thanksgiving up until this time. And it, with that in view, I thought we'd just read a little bit from Luke as our scripture reading we're going to be in uh, Isaiah chapter 40 for our main teaching, but Luke chapter 2, and uh, let's all stand, if you will, while we, if you're able, while we read God's Word, and uh, we'll just start right there at the beginning in Luke chapter 2. It says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, 
which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And it shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. May our Lord add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. I just want to make just two comments, or three here, and then we'll get to our main scripture. And the reason is we're getting in the Christmas season, and there's a really significant little thing right here that a lot of times we don't think about. And I heard Mark Bailey give a talk about this uh, several years ago. Uh, at, he was the head of Dallas Seminary on the idea here of where's the manger, okay? Because the announcement is they're going to find the babe down there in verse 12. It says there will be a sign unto you. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. It doesn't tell you what manger. There could have been a million mangers. It was an agricultural society. How are they going to know where to go? How are they going to know where the baby is? because there's only one manger that used swaddling cloths. And that was the manger. It was called Migdal Eater. It is where they prepared the lambs to take them up for the sacrifice. So I think it's 99.9% .9 sure the, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, was born in the very manger where the priests would prepare the lambs for the sacrifice. And the swaddling cloths were made, according to Arnold Fruchtenbaum, from the uh, old gowns of the priest. They would tear them into cloths, take them down to Migdal Eater, the tower of the flock it was called, and they would catch the baby lambs as they're born. They weren't supposed to be bruised or anything. Then they would clean them up with these swaddling cloths. Then they would wrap them in the swaddling cloths to take them up for the sacrifice. I believe Jesus was born in the very place where the sacrificial lambs were born. And so as you talk to people this Christmas, you might keep that in mind. You might say, you know, there's something really interesting here. And of course, David went back to Bethlehem and the city of David because he was of the lineage of David. Uh, Joseph, Mary's legal husband, came down through Solomon, if I recall. Mary came down through uh, uh, David's older son, Nathan. So they inherited, Jesus inherited the royal and the legal rights to the throne of David through his two parents. So he was it. All right, so that's our little devotional. Now let's go and take a look at Isaiah 40. And uh, it's talking about Jesus coming the second time. And uh, it, Isaiah is called the Bible in miniature. Some of you have probably heard about that. Uh, be, why? Well, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah have pretty much to do with the law and the consequences for not loving the Lord with your whole heart and going after the world, the things of the world. And the Jewish people had done that. And they're coming under the judgment of God. And so Isaiah 40 is the transition chapter between that Old Testament idea 
of, okay, love the Lord, obey the Lord. If you don't, there's consequences, the law. And it went to the New Testament. And the last 27 chapters are the New Testament ideas with the best uh, chapter in the Old Testament, or the Tanakh as it's called, the best chapter with the Gospel, Isaiah 53. And so, uh, what do we have then? Well, we have 39 uh, books in the Old Testament, 39 chapters in Isaiah, the deal with Old Testament idea. Then we have 27 books in the New Testament. We have 27 chapters in Isaiah that deal with the New Testament idea. The deliverer is coming, and so where does it start? Isaiah 40 starts with John the Baptist. Where does the New Testament start? With John the Baptist. How does it go from there? It goes into the gospel. Then it ends up with Isaiah 65, down about verse 17, the new heavens and the new earth. So it's like the whole trend of the New Testament, from the gospel to the new heavens and the new earth, and then the very last verse of Isaiah 66, 24, is an allusion to the lake of fire. And so the whole thing is right here. And so let's go and see why there's a problem here in, in, in Isaiah, what, what's, what's going on. In order to do that, we have to first take a quick look at Revelation chapter 2, because God is going to uh, rebuke the Ephesian church. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. We had a good lesson in Ephesians. And you look at Ephesians, and in the chapter 1, they're loving the Lord. You go to the last chapter, they're loving the Lord, but there's warfare. But then it also says our salvation. How, where does it come from? It doesn't come from our works. It comes from grace through faith. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. What has happened to the Ephesian church from their sold-out love of the Lord Jesus here in the book of Ephesians to about 30 years later? Well, let's just see. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, under the angel of the church at Ephesus. So he's writing to the Ephesians. This is Jesus speaking through John. Uh, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience. For my name's sake hast labored, and hast not failed. They're doing all these good things. They're doing what the church is supposed to be doing. And he's congratulating them for that. But then he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. I'm reading King James, by the way. Because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. What's going on? They are the, the, this church that loved the Lord. They're doing all the right things. He's congratulating them. They got a problem. They lost their first love. They're not loving the Lord Jesus with their whole heart and mind and soul and strength. So why are they doing all these good works? Well, he doesn't tell us. But they're not doing it out of love for him. 
Are they doing it out of pride? Are they doing it out of competition with some of the other churches? Well, boy, look what we're doing over here in our church. Okay, man, we're pretty good stuff. He doesn't tell us, but he does tell us there is a serious consequence if we walk away from our first love into the ways of the world, and that's what they had done. They are building idols. They're loving the things of the world. By the way, how about you? You see, is our Lord your first love? Is he my first love? Or am I loving the things of the world? Is that where I'm really committed? I'm visualizing me here, me there with this or with that or with this or with that. And I lost my first love. Well, let's see what happens back here in Isaiah. So back to Isaiah chapter 40. And we'll just be making some comments as we go along. And uh, Hosea, uh, Amos, and Micah were also contemporaries of Isaiah. So all four of those men were writing at about the same time. So he starts out, comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Now, they've, they've been hearing about this judgment, and they've been working up to getting this, this judgment is coming. Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished. See, there's a deliverer coming, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Who's that? That's John the Baptist. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I'll tell you what. Go over to Matthew chapter 3 for just a minute. Keep your finger there in Isaiah. Matthew chapter 3. So right at the beginning of the New Testament. It says, Matthew 3, 1, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. We just read it in Isaiah. This is like 700 years later. In other words, God was prophesying what Isaiah was what John the Baptist was going to say, and, and our Lord is prophesying that 700 years before John the Baptist ever even comes on the scene. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And it goes on. So that's where the New Testament begins. That's where the New Testament part of Isaiah begins. And then it says this, verse 4, Every valley shall be exalted. By the way, this is my favorite chapter in the Old Testament. I went back and forth with myself. Where should I go? What should we talk about? And, and I'm thinking, I, maybe the first time I spoke here, it was like 25 years ago, I think we talked on this chapter. But anyway, he says, verse 4, Every valley shall be exalted. Every By the way, it wasn't here. It was in the old log cabin church. Does anybody remember that? Nobody remembers that. Oh, Charlie remembers that. All right. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked places shall be made straight. And the rough places plain. And so you're thinking, well, what's that have to do with anything? Well, they had a custom in those days. When the monarch came to town... 
the people would go out and they would level out the highways because they're mostly dirt roads. They'd take the boulders out. They would smooth it all out because they didn't want the king to be grouchy when he came into town because he got bumped all over everywhere in his chariot bouncing into town. So they would go out and smooth the road, okay? Now, what is this? why is this talking this way here? Well, when Jesus, this is second coming talk, by the way. When Jesus comes, I mean, he's going to rearrange the earth. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All the goodliness thereof is as of the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. By the way, I speak on college campuses, university campuses, on this creation evolution issue, and I always say, death began with Adam. There was no death before Adam sinned. Death was the punishment for sin. Adam, if you eat of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. What does that mean? Adam wasn't going to die unless he ate of that tree. I think God made Adam to live forever. Adam ate of the tree. As a result, what happened? Death. Are we all going to die? Yeah, we're all of the genetics of Adam. And so, in Adam, all die. But in Christ, all can be made alive when we trust in him. Okay? So, here we have Adam, and he brings in death. So I'll go on these college campuses, and I'll say that. And then, hen, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if, what if Adam ate a carrot? The carrot is dead. That means there was death before Adam. I said, well, now hang on a minute. You know, there's three kinds of things that we would call living things. There are uh, plants, maybe insects, but we know plants. God doesn't say plants die. He says they wither, they fade away. He just said it here. Yeah, he said, uh, all flesh is grass, the goodness thereof, the flower of the field. Grass withereth, verse 7, the flower fades. He doesn't say they die the same way that animals and people die. So let's say that plants have what we might call flesh. Animals have flesh and a soul. Did you know they have a soul? It's the same word used for our soul in the Hebrew, the nephesh. We have a nephesh, they have a nephesh. What's your soul? Your mind, your body, your emotions. I mean your mind, your will, your emotions. Do, does your pet dog... Uh, have a will. Boy, ours does. <laughs> does. Does it have emotions? My, my daughters can start singing a particular song because they sing it when they're giving the dog a bath. They don't even have to say bath. They just start singing this song. Boom, that dog is out of here. Okay? He, know, he knows the song. Uh, they have a mind. Do, do animals have a mind? Wow, think what they can do. I mean, a polar bear can find food when there's nothing but ice. They plot, they plan, they stalk. Did you know a polar bear covers its nose when it's sneaking up on a seal hole? Somehow it knows that nose is black. And so coming here, this, here's the seal, sees this black thing coming at it, and it's going to, th uh-oh, that might be danger, boom, down it goes. So the polar bear 
covers his nose with his front paws and slides in on his belly, push him with his rear legs so he can get up real close and, and, and he looks white like everything else. By the way, even though he's not white, did you know their hair is translucent? It's clear. It's the way the sun goes through it. Is water white? No, it's clear, right? What color is snow? White. Is snow water? Yeah, it's the same thing. Anyway, <laughs> let's go. Uh, I'm getting off track. My, my, my family's down here probably saying, get back on track. Come on, come on. All right, let's go to verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. God's word is eternal. By the way, God is eternal. Look in verse 28, same chapter. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, God is eternal, his word is eternal. What else is eternal? You. People are eternal. Where are we supposed to invest our lives as people? In the three eternal things. God, his word, and people. How are you doing? How much eternal investment did you accomplish this last week with God's word, God, and people? Are you investing in people? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you making disciples? All right, so he says this then, verse 9. Oh, Zion, that bringeth good tidings. See, the Jewish people had the good tidings back then. Do we have the good tidings now as God's people, as the church, as the believers? We've got the only good tidings. And you know what? A lot of, a lot of us have lost our perspective. Oh, I forgot. That's the title of my sermon. Don't lose your perspective. I just remembered it. <laughs> I'm, 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 I may forget it before I get to the other end of this. Don't lose your perspective. The Jewish people had lost their perspective at this point. They've moved into worldly things. They're worshiping the idols. They're building their own idols. They're doing all kinds of things. God says, no, no, no. Love me. Worship me. I'll take care of all these other things. O Zion, that bring us good tidings, verse 9. Get thee up on a high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bring us good tidings. Are you praying for Jerusalem? Our Lord doesn't command us to pray for very many things at all, but he does say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Why is that important? If there's peace in Jerusalem, and there will be no peace in Jerusalem until the Prince of Peace comes, what's his name? Jesus. When the Prince of Peace is ruling in Jerusalem on the throne of David, there will be peace in Jerusalem. There will be peace in the world. When you pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 122, verse 6, you're also praying the rapture will be over. The tribulation days will be over. We're with the Lord. All right? So it's kind of selfish to pray that, isn't it? Lord, bring peace to Jerusalem. That means it's going to be peace for us too. It's peace for everybody. It's not selfish. He tells us to do it. All right, so he says, O Jerusalem, bring us good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength. Are you doing that? Or are you kind of whispering behind people's back? I'm, I'm a Christian. Don't tell anybody but I'm a Christian, okay? Uh, be not afraid. Do we need to fear? 
when we're serving the God of all creation, the God that gives us each breath we take? No, we need not fear. You know, it says, uh, fear covers a multitude of sins. Uh, you know what that word covers means? Hinders the knowledge of. No, love covers a multitude of sins. Now, y'all keep me straight. I'm going to get back to my talk here. Um, let's go to verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. This is second coming talk. And his arm shall rule for him. Yeah. His reward is with him. His work before him. When he comes, when Jesus comes at the second coming, he is coming in strength, power. But look what else. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. He shall gently lead those that are with young. He's coming in strength, but he's also coming as the gentle shepherd who loves us, who picks us up and carries us. That's our Lord Jesus, our loving Lord. He is love. God is love. He is love. Well, let's go on now. So what he's going to do next is, now, now remember, our Lord is talking to his people Israel. Application, he's also talking to us. Scripture has one interpretation, many applications. And he is telling them, hey, you're off track. You've lost your perspective. Let's get back on track. Now, to do that, he's going to remind them again who he really is. He's going to do that in a little bit right now. So let's see what he says. He's going to tell us that he is greater than anything. He's superior to everything. Look what he says, verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who knows how much water there is? I don't know how much water. Does anybody? No, nobody knows how much water there is on planet Earth, in the universe. But God says, I know. And meted out the heaven with a span. He knows how far space goes. He knows where the picket fence is out there somewhere, okay? Actually, I think it's a water canopy around the universe. Psalm 148. I think he had two water canopies. I think he had one around Earth and then one around uh, the universe. And sometime we'll get there. Uh, so he's, he knows uh, how far heaven goes. He's comprehended the dust of the earth. He knows how much dust there is. Now, God is telling us who he is here, you see. He's reminding his people... Don't forget who I am. Don't lose your perspective here. Do you know how much dust is sitting on the tip of your nose right now? We don't know. Uh, he also says, and he weighs the mountains in a scale. He knows how much the mountains weigh. I can't even think of a mountain in Texas. Is there a mountain down here? That, there's got to be one. Uh, we could say, how much does that mountain weigh? Well, nobody knows. God says, I do. We climbed Pike's Peak one time. I don't know how much it weighs. God says, I do. I know how the air's a little thin up there. I know that. And he says, and the hills in a balance. This has the idea of God is keeping this earth in balance. Now, what does that mean? By the way, there's a name for that in science. It's called isostasy. The earth is in balance. 
If the earth is spinning and it gets out of balance, it's going to wobble. God says, I keep it in balance. Now, somebody needs to do a study on this. I wonder if a big city pops up, let's say Los Angeles, pops up over here, that if you went straight through the earth to the other side, if there would be another big city popped up about the same time, or maybe a cluster of cities to balance it out. God is telling us here, I keep the earth in balance. We're doing all kinds of things to take it out of balance. I haven't seen a study on that. Maybe one of you would like to try that. See, see what you can find out. Then let me know. Then he says this, verse 13. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? In other words, or being his counselor, hath taught him. Can you tell the Lord anything? Can you counsel him? We do all the time, don't we? Lord, it would have been better if you did it this way. Lord, your timing is off. We should have had this this time. No, no, no. Lord, that was too soon. We were waiting for this. We try to tell him all the time, don't we? But he said, no, you can't, you can't do that. You can't do that because I know everything. With whom took he counsel? <laughs> Does God have to call us up and say, hey, I don't know what to do here. What are we going to do? No, no. He says, with whom took he? He doesn't take counsel with anybody. Who instructed him? See, God knows everything. Does he know the situation of the politics in the United States of America at this particular moment? Don't lose your perspective, okay? Does he know what he is going to do with who gets the Electoral College vote on December the 14th or whatever it is? Does God know ahead of time what's going on? Yeah, what's he want us to do? Be faithful, share the gospel, make disciples. It's kind of like 1 Corinthians chapter, I mean 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, before we read about the rapture. What's he telling us to do? Be calm, go about your work as usual. The world is watching, okay? We don't panic, we don't get upset. It's kind of fun to talk about, I'd have to admit. But God has it under control. Let's not lose our perspective. He says, with whom took he counsel? Who instructed him? Verse 14. Who taught him in the path of judgment? Nobody. You think of, of our God. He knows everything. Does quantum physics catch him by surprise? No, it was his, in his mind to begin with. He gave it to men. He gave all these inventors. He gave it to them. He knows it all. And it's for a blessing to us. Who taught him is a passive judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him, to him, the way of understanding? Nobody, because he knows it all. Is there, why would we want to worship idols and worship other things rather than our Lord? And then he says this. He's superior to everything. He's also superior to every nation. Behold, nations are as a drop in a bucket. Have you heard that saying? You know, how significant is a drop in a bucket? Okay, let's say, when I used to work on my cousin's farm, we fed the pigs what they called pig slop. I don't even know what it was, but it was in a bucket. So you take the bucket, you dump it in the trough, and then you would hold the bucket up, you would look in there, oh no, there's still a drop down there. You take, you tip, you take your finger, and you just pull. No, no. 
You don't even think about the drop in a bucket. God is saying, that's how nations are compared to me. Now, what else? And they are counted as the small dust of the balance, a speck of dust on a scale. Okay, now some of you ladies remember the days when you wanted to get down to the grocery store and buy some tomatoes. Maybe you young people don't even, can't even visualize this, but there used to be like a, a tin can thing hanging here on a chain, and then there's this big dial up here, which was your pounds, okay? So you would put your tomatoes in that thing. It would weigh me like, okay, I'm getting two pounds of tomatoes. But before you put your tomatoes in the pan, you know what you did? You picked up that pan and you went, and you blew all the dust off, right? No, you didn't even think about the dust. It is so insignificant. It never even would register. There's dust on the scale. I don't want to buy dust. That's what God is saying. He is telling his people, don't lose your perspective. Don't forget who I am and what I can do. All right, so then he says, uh, behold, he, this is still verse 15. Behold, he taketh up the isles, the islands, as a very little thing. He can lift an island right up out of the ocean. Can you do that? No. God says, I can and then he says this, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. Take a whole country. Lebanon, a whole country, is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. Take a whole nation. It is nothing before me. It's, well, look what he says in the next verse. All nations, so put them all together. All nations, China, United States, Pakistan, Russia, India, put them all together. Before him, they are as nothing. Now look at this. And they are counted to him as less than nothing. <laughs> How much is less than nothing? Can you picture that? I mean, that's nothing, nothing. And God says, take all the nations of the world. Compared to him, they are less than nothing. I've wrapped my brain around that. I can't picture less than nothing. I can't even picture nothing. Um, anyway, and vanity. They're just, they're worthless. They're of no, no worth. Then verse 18, to whom then will you liken God? There's some, some artist terms in this verse here. Or what likeness will you compare to him? Get out a pen and paper. Get out your watercolors. Get out your oils. Paint a picture of me. You can't do it, okay? That's what he's saying. You can't do it. You can't paint a picture of God. That picture you have hum, hanging at home of Jesus, okay? That's not a photograph. Somebody's idea, okay? You can't do it, he says right here. Um, then verse 19, now here he's getting into what they've been doing. They've forgotten who their God is. They've lost their perspective. What are they doing? They're making idols. Verse 19, the workman melteth the graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold and cast silver chains. And he that is so impoverished, he has no oblation, chooses a tree that will not rot. They can't even make idols that don't rot. God says, I don't rot. Trust me, I'm here. I'm eternal. And then, uh, where, where am I here? Uh, uh, verse 20, where well, that's where we are. 
Unto him, I better keep my finger there. A cunning workman to prepare a grave. You, you, try, you try to picture some cunning workman can make an idol you can worship. That's stupid. That's what God is really saying. This is stupid. My people have lost their perspective. They've forgotten who I am, what I've done. Verse 21. Have you not known? Yeah, you have. Have you not heard? Yeah, you've heard it a million times. Hath it not been told you from the beginning? It has. Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? Yeah, they've understood, but they've made a choice. We love the things of the world more than we love our Lord. Now, we've got to be careful that we don't do the same thing. We don't want to start loving the things of the world more than we love our Lord. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth or the vault of the earth, or the sphere of the earth. By the way, I don't know if you knew it, but the flat earth idea is back. I mean, I really, I can't believe it. With all the evidence we have now from science, the flat earth idea is back. And we're going to churches. Our friends in England, many of them, have deserted the Bible to go with the words of man, and the words of man are saying the earth is flat. Now, what do you do about that? Well, here's what I do. I say, okay, and I've, we've gotten into some very warm arguments. I say, okay, I'll tell you what. You believe the earth is flat. Show me a picture of the edge, and I will believe you. Okay? If it's flat, there's got to be an edge out there somewhere. Okay? Show me a picture of the edge, and I'll believe you. They can't do it. They can't do it because earth is a sphere. And so, um, I didn't keep my finger there. Uh, Oh, yeah, here we are, 22. It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretches out the heavens. By the way, I think that helps with the speed of light problem. God says he stretched out the heavens. What if everything was in closer with the light already here and he stretched it out? As a curtain, he spreads them out as a tent to dwell in. Verse 23, that bringeth princes to nothing. He maketh judges of the earth as vanity. You know, these judges, they think they're so powerful. They're doing things against our Constitution right here in the United States. They think they're so powerful. You know what? God's going to bring it to vanity. Verse 24, yea, they shall not be planted, yea, they shall not be sown, yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall blow upon them, and they shall wither. By the the way, who is the most powerful man to walk on the earth other than Jesus himself? It'll be the Antichrist, indwelt by Satan himself, the most powerful figure. How does Jesus get rid of the Antichrist? I whistled. I didn't mean to whistle. I was just going <laughs> to. He blows. He blows. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. It says he blows on him. And he's gone. This powerful man. He is nothing compared to our Lord. Don't lose your perspective. All right. So now where is he going to go? So he'll blow on them, verse 24, and they'll wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. What is stubble? It's lightweight waste. Lightweight waste. 
Verse 25, to whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? There is none. There is none. Don't forget. Don't lose your perspective, my people. There is none. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things? This is King James. It's talking about the stars. Who has created the stars? That bringeth out their host by number. He calls them all by names. God has a number and a name for every star. Okay, somebody tell me, how many stars are there? Don't tell me, because you don't know, okay? Nobody knows. They are now saying there could be a trillion, trillion stars, and God has a name for every one? If all of us sat here the rest of our lives and thought up nonsense syllables, geep, goop, broop, bop, whatever we could think of, <laughs> we couldn't get a tenth of one percent of a trillion, trillion words. God has said, look, I know everything. I'm all-powerful. And I love you with infinite love. I sent my son to die for you because I love you so much. So he calls them all by names. Now, don't fall for this. Somebody got this entrepreneurial idea. I'm going to start a little company, and I'm going to sell the idea to people that they can name a star. And they'll send me so much money, and we'll say, Star X29-3 is named Charlie. <laughs> and, and then you think, oh boy, there's a star named after me. God says, I've already named them. You can't name the stars. I already did that. <sighs> because of his strong power, not one of them is missing. Not one fails. Uh-oh. I thought stars blew up and were gone. See, we need some Christian astronomers that go to the Bible first. And God said, huh ah, there's no stars missing. He says it right here. There's none missing. Well, that means there's still something there. If they've seen a star blow up, there's still something there. Verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord? You see, God doesn't really know what's going on with me. I've got these problems, and God just kind of, he's not aware of what's going on with me. He just, he just doesn't know. God is saying, no, don't say that. I know what's going on with you, and I love you. He said, my way is hid from the Lord. My judgment is passed over. Well, God just doesn't care about me. No, nah, I, I mean, those nasty people, he should be judging them. He's not. He doesn't care about me. No, 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 no. God says, I sure do. From my God. He says, hast thou not known? Here he goes again. See, he's reminding them. Look, you've lost your perspective. You know these things. Hast God not? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, how much more powerful can you get? He faints not. Neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. He's unlimited. He's unlimited. That's our God. He gives power to the faint, to them that have no might. He increases strength. You know, actually, I didn't know for sure if I was going to be able to, when Charlie asked me to talk, teach her this, this morning, I didn't know if I'd be able to do it. I uh, ruptured some vocal cords or something February 20th. And the doctor said, you're not allowed to speak for a year. And you're not allowed to sing one note, okay, for a year. 
Oh my, what am I going to do? And by the way, that was very convenient actually because February 20th is when it happened and then we were booked all the way through the summer and all of a sudden everybody starts calling us up. We're going to have to cancel, we're going to have to postpone, etc. because of the COVID. I didn't have to cancel out a single engagement. They canceled everything for us. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And, uh, well, you know, when people want you to speak and then you cancel out, that, that, that's not good. Anyway, he gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. So I'm listening to my voice this morning because I don't know how it's going to go. And by God's grace and prayers, many of you have been praying for me. I thank you for that. It's going pretty good. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. God says, bring me your strongest. Bring me your biggest, strongest young man. He's nothing compared to me. And then he says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. By the way, that word renew comes from the Hebrew root that means exchange. They will exchange their strength. Well, that's what we're supposed to do, isn't it? We're going to put off the old and put on the new. We're going to exchange that old self for this new self that we are in Jesus. We're going to get rid of that old self moment by moment, which tends to pop up its ugly head more times than we like. So God says, hey, you'll renew your strength. You'll exchange your strength. You'll put on my strength the strength that can lift islands up out of the ocean. And that kind of strength, he says, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. You know, you see an eagle up here soaring, and you're thinking, isn't that wonderful? He just finds that thermal. He doesn't have to do anything. He's just holding his wings out and soaring up here. Except he is doing something. The thermal is holding him up. The thermal is doing the hard work. But he's also doing something. Because let's say the wind current uh, changes, that hits that front, that, the first wind, uh, feather. The wind, and he, see, they have 1,500 feathers. They have nerves and muscles going to individual feathers. They can lift a feather. They can turn a feather, drop it. So let's say the wind changes. He lifts that feather three degrees, turns it one degree. Well, that means the wind is off on all these other feathers. So now he has to adjust all those feathers, okay? So all you see is this gently soaring up here, but he's doing all this. They, they say, an insult, you bird brain. Wait a minute. I can't even control two arms doing this, okay? And, they, and they're doing this. They are smart, okay? So he's up here doing all this. Now remember, Peter is in prison. And they chain him. They chain him. And they lock these huge iron doors. And the angel comes. And the angel, the chains drop off. The iron doors fly open. And then the angel says, Peter, put your sandals on. What? I mean, if the angel can make the chains fall off, why can't he make the sandals go on? Now, you see, there are some things only God can do. But there are some things he expects us to do. You know what one of those is? 
put our trust in him as our savior. And then not to lose our perspective. We have a relationship with the one true God who is over all, above all, greater than all, and he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. He says right there at the end, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why? Because they have exchanged their life for Christ's life. Now, have you done that? Have you done that from the bottom of your heart? Lord Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. You died on that cross for me. You rose from the dead for me. And you conquered the death that began with Adam. Adam should have lived forever. And you came and you took my sin on you on the cross. And you came up at the resurrection three days later. Proving your death was satisfactory to our Heavenly Father. And now you tell me you will give me that eternal life that was Adam's. He lost it because of sin. And you're just going to give it to me because you're taking my sin and you're taking my penalty. That's the gospel. We trust in Jesus and he forgives our sin. And he says, welcome to eternity with me. And we put on him to walk through this life now with all his power as his people. Have you put your trust in Jesus, our crucified and bodily resurrected Lord and Savior? If not, I, I encourage you to do it today. Talk to Charlie. Talk to one of the elders. Say, I need to get that straightened out once and for all. And then let's not lose our perspective. Let's trust our Lord and let's trust him with our health, with our politics, with our future, with our studies, with that one child, with all of it, we trust him. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, that we could be here today. And I thank you for Bernie Bible Church and their commitment they have to exalt the name of the Lord Jesus Christ before the watching world. Keep them faithful and keep them teaching the word and then help all of us to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And if someone needs Jesus today, I pray today, they will just pray to you, Heavenly Father, through Jesus and put their trust in him as their savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.